1: hello everybody today on the show we have Jason Menendez, who is the VP of internal audit at Jushi holdings from their website Jushi holdings is a national multi-state cannabis company developing and operating high-end retail locations premium brands and state-of-the-art cultivation processing and manufacturing facilities a lot of what we talk about on the show is just like perception of the cannabis industry of like this drug cartel perception, or maybe even, you know, some, one of the things we talk about is like this perception of, oh, it's a cannabis company. So once it became legal, you ju- you guys just reached out to all these drug dealers and growers and just bought their product and now you sell it, right? Um, and that is not the case at all. Jason's a huge advocate of spreading that message of, no, it's not even close to that. There are a ton of regulations. Uh, that go into place uh, in order to be part of this industry. So that, that's some of the things we hit on, as well as Jason passes on an actionable audit tip, which is, I love Jason's, it was probably one of my favorites that we've hit on so far. Uh, the reaction that he got from his peers when he left the public accounting life for uh, the cannabis sector, the advice that he would give a chief audit executive. This is a question we've asked a decent amount of times and I really like it, but it's basically... If you're a CAE, you likely have the strong audit background, but you might not have that executive, I'll just say presence, although there's been some debate around what executive presence means, but that executive presence, and so it's kind of Jason's uh, perspective and thoughts on how to leverage that audit background, but still become an executive, to be thought of of as a C-level executive. Um, since Jason kind of started this uh, audit department from scratch and had kind of a, a whiteboard, I think is how he puts it. Ask Jason what his what's on, what was on his wish list as a leader then and now, and then lastly we talk about Jason's uh, the size of his team and how he's had to leverage tech to make up for the lack maybe of human resources. Last thing, Jason mentions an article that he wrote for Audit Board. It's entitled, Why the Cannabis Industry Needs Internal Audit. And so we have linked that in the show notes below. Here we go. What, what's an audit tip, an actionable audit tip that you could pass along to the listeners?
0: Uh, well, thank you for having me. I, I'd say the, the main thing is always, always, always check the so what. So whatever you put down on paper, whatever you are sharing with someone, if you're having any meeting, I would encourage absolutely everyone to always challenge back and say, so what? Right. Mm-hmm. It's the question that most executives have in their minds. Some will say, some won't. Uh, but it's the most important thing as an auditor, right, you should be able to support, right? Yes, yeah. there's findings and, and there's items that you should be able to back up with. So what? <laughs> right. So always include that in everything you do.
1: Yeah, I like that because the common question is like, or that people would always ask me is like, all right, what's the risk? What's the risk? And I think saying so what is another way of rephrasing that and making it yeah. a little a little easier to take in and go, well, I don't I mean the risk that's harder to find. But if you say so, what's the point? Okay. I like right, that. One.
0: Right, right, No, it, it, you're exactly that on, right? Because a lot of the times we we fill these risk boxes, right, with a lot of audit jargon. Yeah that executives and their normal people are like, okay, even after you read them the risk, they're like, okay, so so what? Right? Like how does this impact me? Right. So putting it in in leanest terms, I think for me and my team, I, I I drill them down on this often, right? Is what what is the so what? What what is the in the most simplest
1: way, why is this important and why should someone listening or reading this should care? Yeah. I think the next time uh if I ever have to review an audit work paper, I'm just gonna add one comment. It's gonna be at the very top and it's gonna go, it's just gonna <laughs> say so what. <laughs> that's 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 the way of doing it, man. I I have done that before, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Sign me up for a CAE position, and that's all I'll do. <laughs> I'll just say so what over and over. Okay, that's good. I like that. Thank you. All yeah. right. So I know you were at uh you were in public accounting, you were at PWC doing great and wonderful things. And then you made this decision to move out of that life uh, and that career almost to move into the cannabis industry of all things. And I know when I was in public accounting and we get those like farewell emails from people like, oh, thanks. I'm going to miss the people, but I'm moving on to be an accountant at whatever. And you're like, yeah, you just want to get out of here as quick as possible. Like you took the first job you could get to get out of here uh, kind of thing. But I don't think that was the case with you. So like, what was the feedback from but well, two questions. One, why did you make that move? And then the other one was like, just what was the feedback from your peers in terms of you're gonna go do what? That's <laughs> it's a great question and
0: one that I, I get often, honestly. So, so to to back up, right, and tell you a little bit about myself. So, I've, I've always been. I I like to try something new, right? So every couple of years I was like, okay, well, how do we do this differently? How do we change the way we're auditing? I I, I really like advisory projects. Like I've I've always been more focused on the non-standard audit stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of of working in something that was like my own and kind of white canvas, right? has always been appealing to me. Um, so so with that in mind, right, I, I think when I talked with people, I kind of received some mixed feelings, right? Some people were kind of, okay, well, you know, they were concerned about the stigma and were like, okay, what is this going to do to your brand? Like, are you worried about at the end of, you know, X amount of years, if you ever want to get out of it, like, what is this going to look like? Uh, Which, you know, valid, right? My reputation, I guess, was somewhat there. Um, But the ones that kind of knew that aspect of me and knew that I was more thrill-seeking, right? And I liked the challenge... They and They're like, like this is gonna be perfect, right? Like you're you're going there. You're gonna build a department exactly how you want it to, to do what you think, right? Is gonna matter for the company and and frankly, you're gonna be writing something brand new, right? Because there's there's no department. There's really isn't a lot of examples in the U.S. of like mature internal audit function in cannabis. So so I think that that was um, the, the reaction I got from most. Um, looking back at it now, so now it's been almost close to two years, right? So it's, it's about, um yeah, we're about 19 months in. Uh, I'd say the latter has been more there, right? Because I think the reputational piece um, is something that cannabis continues to grow on folks, right? And people are tending to uh, understand it a little more. Um, while the white canvas thing is very much true, right? Like I continue to, you know, trail brace through, through internal audit and help drive value for the company as as well as for the industry, right? Like I, there's a lot of things that I, I'm, I'm trying to get involved in to help drive um just recognition for the sector and bring in more risk professionals and more internal audit and more compliance people that have the skill set, right? That can really help the sector. The sector's huge,
1: right? Nice. And then you talked about that stigma. Um, what are you doing to kind of like demystify this drug cartel perception of the sector? Like, I, I don't imagine, you know, someone's local drug dealer is all of a sudden in like like this, this corporate position. You know, it's like it's professional, you know, professional folks that are working um, in this industry. So what are you doing to change that perception? And then why is that such like a mission for you?
0: yeah so so for me is is um it's really important for people to understand this as you can see right i'm obviously not shy about it i'm here on this podcast i've written articles um i i like it right i, I consider myself almost as a, as a first and early mover right in, in, in this sector that is frankly just starting right um people will hold their perceptions and, and those would be the late movers right that understand it later but but to me um every conversation I have with folks, there's so much interest, right? People ask me so many questions around like what I do, what the companies do and everything that that to me just made it so much of like, okay, well, if people are interested, right, let, let's talk about it. Let's help people understand it. And in turn, people will understand me and why I moved into it. Um, I, I think it's fun, right? Demystifying it. In my opinion, frankly, where we're, cannabis today is what alcohol was, I don't know, 50 years ago, right? Um, in I'm just, I'm, I'm glad I took the leap. Right. So, so with ev- like, with everything, right. Understanding it is, is half the battle I've done now that I've, I've gotten into it. Right. I've, I've definitely done my research and try to understand it. And, and it's funny, right. Every time I try to lead this, I, I try to find the, the, this discussion, I try to think through what is the latest data point? Cause regulations are always changing. Right. So I'm like, okay, so how many States have it approved or in some way, shape or form? Right. And it's funny today I was looking at it and I was like, I actually think I'm saying the stat wrong, right? So before I was always like, "Oh, here's all the states that have some kind of laws applicable." I actually flipped that today, and I noticed that only six, six states do not have any laws for cannabis. Mm. All the other ones, forty-four other states, have some mixed laws related to cannabis, whether it's for medicinal use or whether it's for medical or, or sorry for adult use or, or whichever it may be, right? But there is some legality to cannabis in those states that's a great portion right majority of the states in the united states and, and while yes right federally cannabis is still a schedule one status mm-hmm. um that comes with you know its own restrictions but it it's a heavily regulated by mm-hmm. the states right this is this is an industry that exists because of the states and the states are very strict with what they do, right? And in some cases, it's not so much the states, even the municipality, right? So so with that in mind, right, very complex regulated structure. right? Um, it, it's one of those few industries, in my opinion, that um, regulation is a top risk, right? Because if, if most operators lose a license, there, there goes the business, right? There goes the reputation of that business. There goes the business completely, right? Like they can no longer operate. Um, Very few, I'm thinking maybe, you know, pharmaceuticals, but pharmaceuticals are products, right? They have licenses by product. So it's it's very different in the way that it works. Um, I think cannabis is very regulated. And for that reason, it should be taken seriously, right? Because there's a lot of pieces that are are in place, um, even though there's at the local level that drive the business, right? So for example, I think we don't have to look too far back for examples of the importance of municipalities and states, right? Um, you look at COVID, right? There was counties giving people fines while the state was okay with it, and, and the federal were not okay or okay, or whichever, you know, depending on the week that you turn yeah. in. <laughs> so, so really, the, the local municipalities have a lot of power, right, in terms of regulations. And, and frankly, if you look at the news, uh, they're exercising that power, right? There's a lot of tax money that is coming in on the cannabis side. And, and it's both from, you know, getting set up as, as well as compliance, right? And and with compliance being that strict, you, you have to take an appreciation for, okay, how can a company survive under such strict requirements, right? And And, and when we say company, there is there's true companies at this point, right, that are flourishing, right? These are billion-dollar market cap companies, in some cases, billions of dollars in revenue, um, public corporations, SEC registrants um, that, frankly, are here to stay, right? Um, It's not a mom-and-pop or or a drug cartel, right, or or the drug dealer off the street who just decided to open up a store, which I think is is the perception, right? Um, that that's not the case. This is truly a, a corporation with with thousands of employees, right? That are that are focused on its mission and, and, and vision. Um, do we have challenges? Do we have obstacles? Absolutely, right. And naming an industry and a company that doesn't, um, I, I think the the piece that is different for cannabis is that we're very early in the maturity of the sector. Right, so our challenges are more basic in nature, right? So when you think of things like uh, cash, right, inventory, those are problems that were problems in industries, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, And and were problems that were solved by, you know, strong ERP systems or or, or strong uh, banking relationships, right? Uh, Both of which are probably late entrants into the cannabis world, right? But um, while yes, those are the challenges of today, uh, is things that can change with the stroke of a pen right once regulation comes out and, and major banks can operate in and, and right now we obviously operate in banks that are of local jurisdiction mm-hmm. which is allowable um, things like that would change right vendors such as big erp systems right your saps and your oracles they're going to want to get involved and and it's going to overall increase the maturity of the sector right so for me when you're asking like what Why do I care so much about demystifying is because of that, right? I want to bring in more people into the sector. It's going to improve it, grow it and and make it what it should be, right? Something similar to what like alcohol is and
1: or whatever it may be, right? So when I think of the cannabis industry, to me, it's regulation seems like the biggest risk out there. You talked about uh, state, federal, state, local, municipal, et cetera. And having to deal with kind of the ins and outs there but is there something else outside of that that is kind of like an overarching risk that you're constantly having to um assess
0: you know i i think in in this case and, and maybe it's given you know macroeconomics across that maybe it's not so different from others right but but i, I think resourcing continues to be a challenge right and, and fighting cannabis has to fight the stigma right that, that maybe other industries don't so So we have all these same resourcing constraints or or challenges that everyone's having yet we have to fight the stigma um we'll always be there right and and then the 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 second component um i would say is is related more to the vendors and in the we get into the topic of kind of third-party risk Mm -hmm. right it is something that until the sector kind of grows and matures, it, it'll continue to be a risk, right? What tools are we using? What vendors are we using? Are we mitigating the risk by using these vendors or are we creating more risk, right? How are we managing that risk? It, it's something that I would say is, you know, maybe top three uh, within the cannabis sector for sure outside of, you know, more of the, the financing piece and everything else that, that goes along with it. um, it, It's something that, again, in my experience is, it's definitely not unique to cannabis, right? And most risk assessments I've done outside of other industries, those are top three that most people would yeah. probably list as out as well. Uh, but cannabis does have a nuances.
1: Yeah, I could see the vendors for sure. And third-party risk management's been huge for years now. Um, I've started to see this like proliferation of TPRM software, like we only do TPRM type software, um, which usually that means there's a market for it. You know, and so I could see that. But I think what, what is even most or maybe more interesting with the cannabis industry is there's like all these new vendors coming in. I, I wouldn't imagine there's a lot of established vendors, you know, like you see an IBM or something come across, you're like, yeah, I mean, we're, you still have to do your due diligence, of course. But um, what what's the, when we talk about these vendors, are, is it, I'm imagining like an individual grower, like, hey, it's legal here. I can grow it, sell it to you guys. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Or is it, is it something outside of that?
0: Yeah. So, so the plant touching or the cannabis touching vendors, I would say are probably not as concerning mm-hmm. uh, to me because they also have to deal with all the compliance and all the regulations of their own states, right? So in, in terms of like suppliers and things like that, right? Like to your point, right? Like a grower, like that grower needs to have a proper license. We get a full listing of who's allowed to, you know, grow license. I mean, grow um, cannabis and it has a license to be able to engage with us, et cetera. So that piece, I think it's actually more controlled. Okay. Um. Everyone else, right. So you think of your marketing providers, your um, POS providers, your, Anything and everything, right? Anyone who's touching cannabis at yeah. this point, um, those there's less regulation. There's no license, right, for you to be a marketing provider, if you will, yeah. or or a system, right? That houses like customer data. Yeah, uh, those to me are the biggest challenges, right? And, and those systems, I would say, are not at a point where they've been challenged enough. Um, to say, you know what, either you create uh, some kind of third-party assurance or you give us some validity over what you're providing or we won't deal with you, right? Um, and those are the challenges, I think, from a third-party risk management that really come into play, right? I mean, your minor vendors, uh, th- those are challenges every company has, right? But like yeah. on those major vendors that you are relying on your business for that you don't necessarily um, have much assurance over, I think are the biggest risk in cannabis, right? And, and, and to your point, right? Like if it were an IBM or or, or a company that that is substantiated, then, then you don't have that much risk there, sure. but here it, it's a challenge, right? And, and frankly, maybe this ties into to the earlier point on like bringing people into the sector, right? I think, of, okay, if I had five other CAEs arguing with a vendor over their assurance practices, they're more likely to bend and do what they have to do, yeah, right? That's a good point. That's not always the case, right? I mean, and, and there are some professionals in there, right? So I'm not, I'm not going to say that there aren't any. We, I meet mean, actually with a group of us and we, we all get together and strategize over this stuff. Nice. Um,
1: but I would say that that's the biggest challenge when it comes to DPRM. Okay. I, I know I was thinking as you were talking about that, and I mentioned the grower, there was a friend of mine, 2020, got laid off. He was a finance guy um, and sent me a message and was like, hey, I think I could get into audit. That seems interesting uh he moved to Washington and so he's like I think cannabis would be something to get I would be interested in do you know anybody you know there and this is Jason before you and I met and there was some guy uh or two on LinkedIn that happened like we connected Uh, I'm not even sure if we chatted but I would see what he was posting and he was like um a grower or uh, I guess a botanist even and so I sent him a message and I was like, Hey, what kind of like background do you have to have to get into what you're doing? And it was basically like, Oh, I went to school for like 15 years and I got my PhD in this, and you got to get this, this, this certification, and you have to understand this, this. And I was like, Oh, so it's not like you just show up and you get to grow, right? And it's like, no, like there's so much that goes into it. And yeah. the reason I kind of I, I tell that is because I know you like like you're on this mission almost to demystify um, this industry as like this drug cartel. And it's not like Joe Blow just throws some seeds into a, a pot and something blooms. He cuts it, sends it, and then you guys sell it. Um there are some I I I'm almost curious if it's more stringent than even uh tobacco or alcohol. I don't I don't expect you to know that because you'd have to know those both of those industries as deep as you know your own. But um it's certainly not this this idea of yeah, I can just go grow this stuff and throw it on, you know, pick it and send it. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. So
0: yeah, Uh, definitely a lot, a lot that goes into it. Lots of requirements, quality control, uh, specifications. I mean, to your point, right. That those are probably, you know, the growers are botanists and they're all PhDs and they're highly qualified people similar with the people processing, right? So the yeah. folks create, these are chemists, right? There are PhDs who are very, very explicit. Like I have to prep before I have discussions with them on my like oh, <laughs> chemistry, just so that I understand what we're even talking about, right? So it, it's highly skilled labor and and it goes back to the point on, on, on risk, right? Like being able to retain those folks and or may, attract them is it's difficult, right? Because they're even leaving a pharmaceutical where they were designing, you know, like your your next drug or or whatever it may be. Cancer for, drugs, right? yeah, right. And, and now they're focused more on a, on creating a, a medicine out right, of cannabis, right? So it it's it's very interesting. But to your point, definitely very qualified folks, right? In 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 the plant touching side, and I would say even on the back office side, yeah. right? So you you'll see folks more and more kind of like, I mean, myself, right? I'm a CPA that there, there's uh public company, CFOs, right? Like the CEOs are very much uh, accomplished individuals, right? That are, are putting their um, investments in
1: time and time and money, right? In, into the sector. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna switch up a little bit instead of uh, going as deep on uh, the sector itself and like bring it up more, just audit in general, Mm-hmm. That's a question I love to ask, and it's uh, inspired by Hal Guerin. For those that don't know, uh, connect with him on LinkedIn. He's a really great uh, internal audit thought leader kind of resource. And he had posed this question, I don't know, months ago, and he's kind of on this, I guess, mission as well to get chief audit executives trained up as executives. I think a lot of folks that are CAEs, and, and this is speaking for Hal, too, they have a strong audit background. They know audit really well. They can go really deep there, but when it comes to actually being like an executive, uh, maybe lack a little bit there. Uh, And we've had this whole conversation about executive presence in the past. And so I'm not going to go into the nuances of of what that is, but I think most people understand if I say executive presence, kind of what that means. So what advice would you give someone that's either in a CAE role or an aspiring CAE role it has that strong, a the strong audit background, but maybe needs to work on the the executive piece of it. Cause you can have a strong audit background. If you're not a good executive, it's not really, you know, I, I would argue the E is more important than the A, um, as far as being the executive. So what advice would you pass along to those folks? Yeah. I, you know, number one advice I'd
0: say is definitely invest the time with management, right? Um, Constantly remind yourself that you are not the external auditor. Mm. Um, I Unfortunately or fortunately, right? I think a lot of people who come into the role were private external auditors, right? So they come in with that mentality. And, and frankly, it takes you some time to just snap out of it and be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not the external auditor. I'm not in public accounting anymore. Check your employee badge. And it says employee of company, right? Like you are an employee of this company, right? Uh, Frankly, I, I think that was some of the advice I got when I first started this role, right? It was, um I remember the, the, the quote, right? And, and, and please don't judge me on it, right? It was like, hey, there's no independence police. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's very much true, right? Like, I mean, you are what you, you make your role out to be what you are to management, right? So to your point on the executive, I think so much of my experience has just been shaped on the relationships that I've built the executive team, right? Um, my focus is not to be a, a gotcha auditor, right? And I'm gonna go tell on you mm-hmm. um or to bring anybody down, right? My my focus is really on understanding the company. Um, that is my number one thing. And we me and my team must understand the company, the processes, and we need to help the leaders in the company understand where it can be improved. Yeah. Right. So so that that to me, and, and I make it a point in all my discussions with management, right? I need to be intentional about mentioning those two things. One is my, my value proposition as a team, right? It's like our goal as internal audit is to help mature the company's processes and internal controls. Not anything beyond that, right? Well, yes, I do it via an audit. I need to understand what you're doing. I'll give you results. The goal of that is to help you enhance those, not for anything else. And then the second component I always state is I offer my services to them, right? So, is there any way internal audit can help you understand your current processes, right? How do we help drive some advice, right? If you need it, we can do some independent search, understand what you're doing, and give you the tools, right? If you don't have them yet at your disposal, from an objective point of view, on some decisions that you can make, right? Because it, you know, sometimes the management, I'm not saying that there's a disconnect, right, but everyone has blind spots. Right. And, and my goal with an internal audit is to be able to help drive that. Right. Because yeah. I see that as the value I provide to them. Right. It's important for me to management to see me not only as a checks and balance. Right. From like the board. Yeah. Inevitably. Right. That's what's what I'm here for. Uh, but also really as a stakeholder. Right. Who's invested in the company. Right. And the success of the company. Um, if they don't see that. You know, like there's always so much talk in the profession, right? I think for the past like 10, 20 years, I think PwC coined a term, right? Like years ago, like trusted advisor, right? Like the pinnacle, the internal auditor is going to be the trusted advisor. But but in my experience, every time I talk to CAEs, to your point, they have a very strong A, right? They're just focused on being a great auditor. And you can be a great auditor, right? That's not going to get you a trusted advisor yeah. status. That, that is just not enough, right? In my, in my opinion, there needs to be a really big balance, between all the audit work you do and the advisory work that you do so you can earn your seat at the table, right? Like, I I like that my management calls me for involving me from my point of view. Yeah. It's not that, oh, we need to have internal audit present because it has a controls implication. And it's yeah, more yeah, yeah. And what do you think about this, right? Yeah. And obviously, I, I always, I, I put in all the disclaimers, right? Like, hey, you, the guys, decide this and that, and I provide my opinion. But the fact that they want my opinion on some of these topics, right, just... Is, is a credence to like the work that I've done in building those relationships with the, with the executive team.
1: Yeah. And that's one of the the KPIs I talk about a decent amount is like, how many times does management come to audit and go, we need your help with this because they know the reputation that that we've set, or we've worked with them in the past and they go, okay, well, we, we want audit to come look at this or we need audits help. And so the more of those like you get from management, especially if you're getting it from the executives, um, like you were talking about, um, To me, that's like a fantastic internal KPI to keep track of because if nobody's coming to you and you're the one that's having to go out, like, are you really doing what we're supposed to be doing? So I think that was a good point that you made. Another thing I was interested in, because this is, because the industry or the sector is still so new, I'm curious, you talked about going to them and saying like, how can I help you? How can audit help you? Did you have to go through like an audit education with the executives and management and go, this is what hey, this is what we do. Um, and this is how we can help. Because I feel like if not, and you go in and go, hey, you know, what can I do to help? And they're like, I, I really don't, don't you just like check the financial statements? I don't know what else you really do. Did you have to go through some kind of process like that to educate them uh, on what audit does or what audit actually does or can actually do? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I do it every six months, right? right. So, so every
0: six months, I try to do a mini kind of risk assessment. And I use the risk assessment as the excuse, right? Okay. It's frankly, it's getting in front of management, you, can, <laughs> nice. you know, dis- discuss topics of yeah. risk and then have that dialogue, right? Like, okay, can we be involved? Does it doesn't make sense for us not to be involved there, right? What do you think of this topic? What What's trending? What are we in- implementing or not, right? And again, it goes back to, to the overarching point of, of, I have to show... And not that I have to show, I actually do care, right, about the success, right? So, like, if, if they see that I I'm, I care about it and I'm not just auditing them, then it, the relationship changes, right? They see me as their advisor that they can actually trust that I'm not just going to go and, you know, write a report over everything they tell me and, yeah. and be the snitch in the, in the company, right? Um, I I think it's key. And, and in some cases, right, I, I've discussed this with, with folks at people don't value that time during the risk assessment process as much, right? It's more of a check the box or okay. or, or, or surveys, right? Like to, to just get some, um, what, what I, I think someone said this to me, I won't I won't take ownership for it, but it stuck with me, right? So it's a false sense of security when you're doing these surveys, right? I'm like, okay, I ranked this at 3.2 versus 3.1. Let's have a discussion, right? Like let's enhance that relationship so that you trust me. And then once you think this is, Important, right? You're gonna call me because we've had this discussion. Challenge in most cases, right? You're not having that discussion with anyone else in the company because your peers, right, like sales and uh, IT,
1: aren't having a discussion around you know some of these things. Or, yeah. it, it may be less likely, right? Right. Yeah. I like earlier you you, you talked about doing something with intent, uh, and that's always important because usually people are like, "Hey, build relationships," and it's like we well, have to do that with intent. It's not like it doesn't come natural. You have to reach out to people. And and you also mentioned the uh, the every six month kind of risk assessment like that the you're doing that with the intent with intent the intent being to build the relationship with uh, the executives and folks like that so uh, I just wanted to highlight that like you have to do it with intention it's not something that just is going to organically in most cases um, happen so okay so when you started um, you kind of built this program from scratch I know you talked about having like. Um, like a whiteboard or or like a blank slate to to be able to work with. When you came in there, what what was kind of like what was on your what's on your wish list? Maybe even now as an audit leader, like we had this blank canvas. I'm gonna build it. This is on my wish list. Yeah.
0: So so frankly, I I knew being involved in internal audit right at PwC and and, and kind of helping some different clients, I I knew. Some common pitfalls, right? And such as like admin time and, and being too broad and, and things of that nature that I knew I wanted to stay away from, right? right? So so one of the things that I've tried to get involved with, and again, it's been only less than two years, right? So it, I, I want to continue to invest in my team's ability for data analytics, right? right. And that is, is a massive effort, right? Because you, you need the company to, to buy in, you need to have the skill sets to weigh in and Award. So we we've been making strides, right? I mean, I, I think the strides that we've made continue to prove out, right? That we get the most bang for buck on on, on those efforts. Um, out out of all the data focused reviews we've done, we we've really gotten good feedback and, and good findings, right? So with the limited tools and and skills, right, my team just kind of learning. It. I don't have like a data scientist or anything like yeah. that. Right, like we're we're just a bunch of Swiss Army knives. who just learn stuff and figure it out. Um. We we focus on cost, right? Or is like how, how do we find the trip find the money, right? Go deep into to the cost and, and and understand um like h- how we can provide it, right? And we were able to come up with some significant cost savings for the company, uh, which was really turned the conversation to a very higher level, right? Like I, w- I was on the phone with my CFO just discussing my observations log, right? Where he was just like, Wow, like you guys were able to find all this in what a couple of weeks of just digging through. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean. Data is is key, right? And when you know how to maneuver it and, and, and understand it, you, you really can drive significant value for the company, right? The, the the power of leading with it gets gets management's attention, right? I, I mean I, I don't want to oversimplify an example, right? Where you say, okay, well, you know, your your approval matrix is is off versus hey, you know, you had a, an associate approving 100000 dollars worth of know. money. That, that hits differently, right? Yeah. And you're only finding that through data analytics, like your, your sample selections are not going to be good enough, right? So communicating that impact and going back to our earlier question of the so what with data is powerful. So so if I had a wish list, right, if I could invest any amount of money into doing that, it would be growing that skill set and the tools for, for my team so that we can really dive deeper than, than we have at this point and in, in, in wider across the company.
1: Yeah. And so for those that uh, maybe are are listening for the first time, uh, I am uh, audit analytics consultant and I did not pressure Jason to say (laughs) any of that. I didn't pay him anything uh, to say that. That was all on his own. And then we also we take from each episode, we take like a a short highlight clip, like usually my favorite part or the part I feel like the um, guests are going to like the most. So as you're going through that, I was like, yeah, we got the clip. It's going to be around that. We're definitely using that as the promotional clip. So. (laughs) all right and unfortunately we aren't able to work together we've made a good friendship so far (laughs) absolutely absolutely um so kind of in addition to that so you're talking about the tech how else other than analytics like how else what other tech or how are you using tech to support because i know you have a, a fairly lean team how are you using tech to support a lean team there
0: yeah, so, so another one of the learnings that I, I took out of, out of public accounting, right? And I think a lot of the reason why a lot of people leave public accounting is the administrative work, right? right. You have to log your hours. You have to, you know, there, there's so much admin work that you take. And like, I think it's so much ranks, right? They're like, so, much. so, so much admin that like most of your time, I think is a, you know, maybe senior manager above, right? Like you just dedicated to admin, right? It's like, how do I present it to the customers? How do I do this to the clients, et cetera? So I wanted to limit that. Very much so. I wanted to build a team of SMEs for the company who can focus on those particular topics and drive, focus on adding value, right? So like mapping out essentially what are the value add activities and what is everything else that has to absolutely get done, but really it's just a lot of admin time, right? And as maybe you can appreciate, right? Small companies or startups or you know immature environments... Yeah. They require a lot of that, right? So like just in follow-up items, I mean, we're we're in the triple digits, right? In terms of items that need to be remediated, things we need to discuss on a periodic basis, obtain action plans and all that. Like that just creates a whole work stream that, frankly, without proper tech, you got to hire more people, right? Because if not, then you're not auditing, right? You do one or two audits a year and then the rest, you're figuring out remediation and everything else. Um, we've gotten to a point that we're, we're executing double digits. I mean, I think we're like 18 audits a year or something like that. And we're barely, we're not even through our second year, right? So we're, we're doing a lot. And frankly, I think that that's all partially because we were able to make that investment into tech, right? So we, we went with Audit Board. Um, and I know I, I wrote an article on on, on this, right? If everyone hasn't seen it, please feel free to check it out, right? But for us, although it's only been a matter of months, we can make the comparison, right, between like a pre-audit board in December to like where we're at today, and it's night and day, right? Like we were taking days on executing some task, right, in admin in nature, where today it just takes us a few hours, right? So, so the tech is is definitely important. I would say is is one that. For me, at least, I wanted to make sure we stayed lean to, and we didn't have a whole lot of admin time. And, and that has been crucial. Right. Um, I, I didn't want to spend time, you know, formatting emails and all that stuff. Like it, it's just it's part of the process. And I understand that it's it's part of what the nature of, of being a young company. But uh, we were lucky enough to, to have this tech. Right. It just it, it kind of helps us. Right. So. Um, on the other hand I, I mean I think the investments that we have made on on the data um with the limited resources you know have, have been good. Um, yeah. we, we still rely on on some qualitative uh, inputs here and there right but I I think our our true like, risk assessments are, are mainly data driven nice. uh and it's nothing fancy right I mean it's it's power bi which is the free tool that we get with Microsoft right and, and Excel uh but through those, you know, our team is able to define like, okay, well, what what is our, our true North star for this year? Right. And, and, or every six months or like, what, what are we really trying to audit? Where do we want to focus our, our energy and our priorities versus establishing, I think. And it's probably long, long time before uh, audit departments have done it. Right. But I, I have seen some that are just like, okay, we're just going to be rotational. Right. We're going to hit up every site, every process, every yeah, yeah, two years. Yeah. and, to me, that that wasn't a good way because then I would have to build up the team, right? If, if, I, if I plan to cover every single inch of the company every single year or every two years, I, I'm building up for stuff that may not be as necessary, right? So now we just focus on data, take a, a true analysis of where we need to prioritize our resources and hit those hard and then come forward
1: all right jason uh appreciate the time uh and the insight i know i am certainly ignorant of the uh sector that you're in and, and learned uh, a bit from that so i really appreciate it what from all that what what's kind of like your your closing remarks what what would you like the audience to take away from our conversation
0: yeah i it's a, it's a good one right And I, I think maybe it's a couple of things if you allow me the time yeah. right i think one definitely don't be shy uh about getting involved and in trying something new, right? So I I've jumped in cannabis, right, and and I'm enjoying it. I I, I do think that it, this is a it's a great area to be invested in for for risk compliance and internal audit professionals. Um, two, uh, don't ever um, underestimate the power of relationships, mm. right? So I, I think the relationships I have with management are key and being you know driving what i do in internal audit and the relationships i have with my team are essential to what we do at, at the company right so I'm, I'm lucky and blessed to have such a great team that allows me to be able to you know do things like this and share my good experiences yeah um but it, it's all because of the relationships i have with uh, you know with the three of them as well as with uh with the rest of management so th- those two things that i would say are our key and everything that I do. And frankly, if I could give any advice to anyone is to make sure you focus on those.
1: Hey, everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the audit podcast, whatever platform you're listening on right now. I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.